Hello, this is Dallas Smith, and I'm here with Daniel Ivey, who is the Yimby Eugene Chapter founder. Uh, thanks for being here today, Daniel. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. So let's start off with uh, what is Yimby? So Yimby stands for Yes in My Backyard. Uh, it's sort of a countercurrent to the NIMBY, uh, the concept of NIMBYism. Um, you know, NIMBY is kind of a derogatory term, so you're not going to get anybody that's identifying as a NIMBY. Uh, but uh, the NIMBY stands for not in my backyard. So basically it is refer referring to, um, uh, you know, regulations, code changes, and just all around uh, desire to build uh, housing and make housing more affordable. And then uh, there are people who, you know, others label as NIMBYs who say no to that. They don't want housing built in their backyard. Um, some of them recognize the need for housing to be built and some of them don't. <clears throat> but even the ones that do recognize that housing needs to be built, some of them are like, yes, build the housing, but not in my backyard. So YIMBY is kind of a countercurrent to that, uh, the concept of YIMBYism. It was uh, sort of started in San Francisco around 2014, 2015. Uh, San Francisco has the highest uh, or the, the biggest disparity between uh, median income and uh, housing, average housing or median housing prices in the country. And so they've had a lot of you know, they've done a lot of good work with this movement. Um, sort of how I got involved with it is, uh, you know, we, I'm on the uh, Leadership Eugene Springfield uh, steering committee and taking that class this year. That's the class that's put on by the Eugene and Springfield Chambers of Commerce every year. And uh, we're working on a project to help affordable housing, me and, and the project team, my fellow classmates. And I was talking about how NIMBYism is a big problem in our city, and somebody sort of spoke up and said, yeah, we need to have YIMBYism. And, and it just like popped right away that, oh, wow, that's such a, you know, that, that flows really nicely. It sounds good. I'm going to just go and register that domain name. Well, come to find out, it was already a movement. So and I, I reached out to the, uh, you know, to the leaders of the, of the movement in, in San Francisco. I got in on their Slack conversations and um, got a lot of really good advice about how we can use some of the um, processes that they've put in place in San Francisco to help build more affordable housing and, and make housing more affordable in their town. And, uh, and I want to do that here too. So, uh, so, you know, we, me and some other people and, uh, you know, we already have a lot of interested people and uh, people signing up on the Facebook group for the Yimby Eugene organization. Awesome. Uh, so Yimby Eugene has kind of launched its first event and it's kind of a call to action. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so um, our first call to action is basically gonna be to show up to the uh, city council meeting uh, public forum on 311. Now, there aren't uh, any specific items being discussed that evening relating to affordable housing. Um, however, uh, the public forum is an opportunity for the public to come forward and, and talk about any issues that either are actively or will soon be reviewed by city council. And, uh, and they are going to be uh, making some pretty important decisions about policies surrounding affordable housing uh, in the next uh, little bit here. Uh, specifically, a work session that they have two days after the public forum on the 11th, uh, where City Council will be talking to uh, several people from the city, uh, including Ann Fifield, who's a city economist, and, uh, and a variety of people that were involved with the Housing Tools and Strategies Initiative. Uh, and they'll be uh, you know, talking about the, the HTS uh, recommendations. So a little background, housing tools and strategies was something that came about um, about six or eight months ago. Uh, city Council, you know, recognized that there were, uh, you know, 
huge problems with the housing affordability in our city. Uh, and so they sort of, um, you know, came up with the idea and, and there's a lot of background information how it exactly got formed, but long story short, um, it's a, a coalition of about 30 people from across Eugene, uh, various income levels, uh, you know, they had developers in the room, they had city staff in the room, just a, just a wide cross-section of people, renters and homeowners. Um, and they uh, sort of talked about what the biggest problems were. They came up with a list of 83 problems uh, that they wanted to, um, you know, address or, uh, or the 83 things that city council could do, I should say, to help improve housing affordability. Um, that list was, uh, you know, the goal of their work sessions was to pare that down to, to more actionable items. They came to city council on December 10th and December 12th with uh, a total of 20, it's either 27 or 29 items, um, but basically city council said that, you know, it was almost unanimous. They just said, yeah, we just, we don't, this is still too much. We don't have enough to, to vote on it. Um, and they, you know, expressed some concerns about, um, about the fact that, uh, there, there weren't more solid recommendations being made. It was more read, more like a, a here's what the problem is rather than take these specific actions to solve it. So they went back to the drawing board for about uh, two or three months here. And they have what I think is a very compelling 50-page uh, document that really outlines uh, the, the, two, the two key issues. And, and those are the things that, that I want people to be talking about on uh, March 11th. So um, I got a little sidetracked there, probably a little bit ahead of myself. But yeah, basically the event is on March 11th. I want to get as many people to show up to the City Council Public Forum as possible. Um, you have a maximum of three minutes to give public testimony. That doesn't mean you need to take the full three minutes by any means. Um, but if you want to show up and you aren't planning on speaking, that's great too. Um, during my three-minute public testimony, I'm going to be asking the Yimbies in the room to stand up. Um, I'm going to be handing out some uh, you know, brightly colored uh, stickers for people to wear that say I'm a Yimby. Um, to sort of help identify who we are, and uh, hopefully we get just a whole lot of people to, to you know, as, as a show of support. Awesome. Uh, you kind of went over two of the items that you really want to focus on, and we want to really try and bang home in the uh, city council there. Mm -hmm. uh, can you go into a little more depth of what those two items are? Yeah, so um, really the two that, uh, that the Housing Tools and Strategies group is bringing to the table to, to sort of say, look, these are really the two most important things for us to take action on. Um, and uh, these items will both help with generally the building of affordable housing and also with helping to create infill in our city. Um, infill is, a, is the concept of uh, creating uh, diverse housing typologies. Uh, so, you know, not just single family dwellings, but uh, accessory dwelling units in people's backyards. Um, you know, they, they're called granny flats or mother-in-law units a lot of the time um, or uh, tiny homes. Uh, or, uh, or even, you know, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, uh, you know, small, uh, low-rise condos, um, cottage clusters, all those different things that um, having a diverse array of housing typologies just creates a stronger economy, um, you know, a stronger uh, base of housing. It just helps with housing affordability in general. Um, I do, I want to take a second to sort of explain the difference uh, between uh, capital A affordable housing and housing affordability. Um, because I think there's a lot of confusion around that. Um, so when we talk about just regular affordable housing or housing affordability, uh, in a general sense, it's sort of this overarching category that describes how affordable housing is in a specific area. And that's different from what people refer to as capital A affordable housing, which is actual government subsidized housing. 
Um, so I, I just want to clarify that when I'm talking about the, the general concept of housing affordability or affordable housing, I'm not talking about government subsidized housing, uh, although that is a part of making housing more affordable. Um, I'm talking about just general practices that we can take. So with that background, um, the two major things that, we, that we're trying to get uh, you know, passed here, uh, the first one is a CET. It stands for Construction Excise Tax. Um, so uh, phasing in a CET with a third or a half uh, of 1% of the tax rate um, is, uh, is kind of what we're looking at. Um, we're hoping to phase in 0.33 and then eventually move to 0.5. Uh, the city of Bend uh, first implemented a CET of one third of a percent and um, they haven't even transitioned to the 0.5 yet and they've already raised uh, $6.4 million. Um, I believe that's since, you know what, I'm sorry, I don't have the timeline on that, but um, it's relatively recent, like in the last few years, and they've already raised $6.4 million, which goes towards affordable housing directly. Now, the reason why it's possible for us to pass a CET, ta you know, a CET um, and even though it has the word tax in it, uh, don't be scared. It's not a, a tax that's you know, passed along to the, uh, uh, to the uh, common citizen here. It is something that the builders will pay um, as part of uh, uh, you know, the building, the construction costs. And uh, there's a there's basically a state um, law that, sorry, I'm kind of pausing. I'm just trying to pull it up here. Um, that basically says that cities can pass this construction excise tax, which is why so many of them in the state of Oregon have. And um, so, and, and those funds would go directly towards helping to fund affordable housing. Uh, now, I know it seems like, you know, part of the issue with affordable housing is that, uh, you know, builders don't want to pay so much. They want things to pencil out for themselves when they go to build housing. But um, in actuality, we have a lot of builders at the table, both in the Housing Tools and Strategies group and also the, just the various um, you know, construction excise tax discussions that are going on uh, who are in support of it because they recognize that it does, um, you know, having more housing technologies available, having more building going on, um, all these types of things that are stimulating economic growth and, uh, and creating, creating housing opportunities are just good for their business in general. Um, I, I don't know if it's unanimous or not, but I do know that we have some very notable builders um, at the table that are, that are in support of the construction excise tax. Um, the other one is uh, accessory dwelling unit codes. So uh, the creation of accessory dwelling units or allowing uh, people to build accessory dwelling units on their properties is something that can really help to control um, affordable uh, housing costs or to make housing more affordable, especially in a college town where there's lots of people without vehicles um, that are, uh, you know, might not necessarily need additional parking, but they do need housing. Uh, and, you know, you can have a student live in, in your accessory dwelling unit in the backyard. Um, you know, you're making some more money off of your property. They're living in someplace affordable. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the code restrictions on those, uh, again, uh, code restrictions that are mostly put in place because of rampant NIMBYism over the last couple decades in the city, um, are uh, basically put a stranglehold on the ability for us to uh, help people to build affordable housing. Um, I'm sorry, uh, to build accessory dwelling units. Um, we've got a situation where, uh, I, I, I was just looking at the exact number a little bit ago, but um, only seven accessory dwelling units in the entire year of 2018 represents less than 1%, um, or I think it was 1.5% of all approved uh, you know, um, building permits. Uh, in, in the city of Eugene, and uh, that that just isn't going to help us infill. It's not going to help us to you know stimulate growth and, and get more homes built, uh, get more housing for people built. So um, it's a little bit of a big issue, the whole ADU thing, and we aren't looking to you know 
make just anybody build an ADU that wants to. I, I understand that there are, you know, important um, important reasons for some of the restrictions. But um, you know, one of the ones that that keeps coming up is, uh, you know, the building height of the of the accessory building unit. You know, how tall is this building? And, uh, you know, the argument that's commonly brought up is, well, we don't want people building these tall accessory dwelling units in their backyards because the shadows prevent our gardens from growing. Or, um, you know, we don't want it to be an eyesore in the neighborhood. Um, when in actuality, when you look at, um, you know, when studies are done where they, where they sort of show like, okay, can you identify where the tall IDUs are in the neighborhood? People are commonly unable to do that, even NIMBYs who were, um, you know, generally against them. Uh, building height in general is something that is, is very deceptively um, problematic where like people say it's problematic in a huge eyesore but in actual practice it isn't something that actually matters there's um, there's lots of surveys that sort of get distributed where um, they'll show the bottom floor of a of a bunch of like notable buildings in an area and the people will um, you know as part of the survey be asked to identify how tall the building is and um, yeah it's just it's not something that people think of I mean that's basically what these types of studies show um, but, and then in terms of the shadows, uh, you know, going to the vegetable gardens, look, I get, I get people are passionate about their gardens. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to, to get your things to grow without direct sunlight. Um, I, I understand that it is a bit of a burden to have a shadow in your garden, but, um, you know, being on the street in 25 degree weather in the middle of winter is a little bit more of a burden than that. So, you know, that, that's the kind of mindset that we're trying to fight with the concept of Um, and uh, so, um, so anyway, so so that's that's one of the ADU restrictions that we're hoping to get lifted. Um, the, you know, we're hoping to get the building heights increased. Um, uh, we're also hoping to get um, uh, the. So currently, there's a restriction that the uh, owner of the unit has to live in the rental pro in the property itself in order to build an accessory dwelling unit. Um, which basically, it's kind of weird because you can own a rental property. And you can rent it out, but once you put an accessory dwelling unit on it, you can no longer do that. You have to live there with the person that's renting it out in order for it to be allowed. Um, you know, and there's some arguments from NIMBYs about how if you let everybody do this, it's going to create slums and it's going to, you know, there's a lot of hyperbole that sort of gets thrown around. Um, but in actuality, people don't, you know, the, the, the laws of economics, um, you know, get followed by people pretty, pretty well. People generally don't do things unless it's going to pencil out from a financial feasibility standpoint, and so um, and so we see when we when we lift restrictions on codes to building accessory dwelling units that it it creates infill and and more housing affordability in a in a very organic way. Um, you know we've seen examples of this in uh, Seattle, um, San Francisco, as well as New York City, and uh, you know the, it's harder to get the data from smaller towns that are more our size, but um, but in any sufficiently sized city, it, it should it should have the same effect, basically. Um, the other major barrier has to do with parking. Um, we're looking to lift the parking restrictions currently. In order to build an accessory dwelling unit, you have to you have to make additional parking available, and a lot of places that's just not physically possible. Um, and uh, we're also looking to. Um, I think those were the three main things. There was another thing that had to do with the zoning requirements, but I think that was tied into the um, 
into the owner occupancy issue. So, so really, those are the big the, those are the big ones, right? We've got the we want to get the construction excise tax uh, lifted, and we want to get uh, more lenient codes on um, on building accessory building units. We want to get more more of those types of units built. Um, ADUs for short, you'll often hear them called. You'll also hear SDUs, secondary dwelling units, but um, ADU seems to be the, the more common phrase for now, since it could be there could be multiples theoretically on a property, um, but um, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what we're looking to accomplish. I'm going to be giving a three-minute public testimony that talks a little bit about that. I, you know, I'm, I'm using some, uh, some, you know, what I believe to be pretty passionate rhetoric in there because I think that we are in a, in a really we're in dire straits and we need to we need to get some changes made. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where we stand. Hopefully, the EMBs will stand up and show up, and uh, we'll let the city council know. There's there's just so much history and uh, examples, specifically in Eugene City Council, of even just a dozen people showing up for an issue, no matter what the data says, and it gets it gets policy changed. And that's how the NIMBYs have been effective, and we want the EMBs to be effective in the same way. Sounds like two really good ways to uh, try and help us out with affordable housing here. Um, I'll be honest, I've never been to a city council meeting. It sounds kind of daunting. Can you kind of walk us through what uh, people should expect when they show sure, up there? Sure, sure, yeah. So um, <clears throat> it's a fairly big room. Uh, you know, the city council is arranged in kind of a semicircle um, that, that, and, and they're sort of elevated a little bit. And so then the, the people speaking at the podium just sort of stand up. Um, if you do want to give public testimony, you don't have to bring anything ahead of time. They have sign-up sheets available there. Um, I would recommend showing up a little bit early. Uh, the start time is 7.30, so I'd recommend showing up around 7, 7.15 if you want to give public testimony. Uh, you'll write on a little card, uh, you know, your name, uh, what ward you live in. So please look up online to see what ward you're in. Um, because uh, for those of you that don't know, we have eight wards across each, or shoot, in my, yeah, eight wards, and um, and there's eight city councilors, one for each ward. So you'll want to be kind of familiar with who um, your councilor is in general. That's just a good thing to do. Um, but uh, but you know, barring that, you'll stand up and uh, you, your name will be called, um, and they generally say, um, okay, this person, it's your turn. The next person is this name. And then, and then that way you'll know that you're on deck, and then you'll just kind of go up there. You have three minutes maximum to talk. Um, if we have a lot of people talking, I, I hope that we can be somewhat respectful of city council's time. They don't just they don't they don't um, close early, <laughs> so they give everybody a chance to talk. So I don't want to be there till midnight. I don't think anybody else wants to either. So you know, give your three minutes if you feel like you need to. Otherwise, you know, state your name. State whether or not you are a renter or a homeowner. You know, say that you're a Yimby if you are, which if you're listening to this, you should be. Um, and uh, and then maybe like a personal anecdote about like why Yimbyism is important to you and uh, and why you feel like we need more affordable housing. Awesome. Uh, so the housing public forum is Monday the 11th, uh, 7:30 p.m. Get there March a little 11th, early, right. March 11th, uh, in Harris Hall at 125 East Eighth Avenue, down downtown Eugene. Uh, Thanks for coming in. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we leave? No, I think I think that does it. I appreciate this. Now, I, I do hope that um, this turns into an ongoing thing. I'd love for um, the uh, you know Yimby Eugene to have a podcast component to it. So um, you know, uh, if you have any feedback or comments about how we're doing here today, um, if you want us to throw in some more jokes and be a little less dry, I'm happy to do that. I just uh, I wanted to try to get all the facts out in a concise way in this. Uh, in this first meeting. So thanks so much for listening and I hope to see you out there on Monday. See you guys later.